Warning, this podcast contains explicit language. Hi, I'm Stoya. I write, and I used to make video porn. And I'm Rich Jeswiak. I'm a writer who frequently focuses on sex and significant others. Welcome to the How To Do It podcast, where we try to help you with all of your sex and relationship issues. You can ask us anything about sex or your bodies or dating etiquette or whatever. We're here to help. Let's uh, talk about dental dams. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever engaged with a dental dam? Uh, I've touched one. I've looked at them. I feel like when I was younger, it kind of seemed like, well, what am I going to use a dental dam for? Not thinking about like anal stuff. Uh, but uh, I guess the question has persisted. What am I going to use a dental dam for? Have never used one. So <laughs> have you? Yeah, I have interacted with them. One of my colleagues expressed a love of the sensation of dental dam. Mm. And so I've like touched myself through one. It's the same as latex underwear, which is in fact like a really cool sensation for at least me and this one colleague of mine. But as far as using them for STI transmission prevention, probably should, never have. (laughs) I have no idea why that is. I don't know if they feel repulsive to other people or like what. Yeah, I mean, in general, and I don't have data on this, and I don't know that it exists, but it seems to me that, like, oral sex is generally done without barriers. It seems like whatever, you know, penetration vaginally or anally occurs, condoms are much more common. It seems like when people have oral sex, it's just like a thing that it doesn't seem to come naturally. Am I right? Am I wrong? What do you think? You're right. And I think it has to do with, despite the existence of antibiotic gonorrhea and the fact that herpes can transmit from genitals to mouths, it just feels so much less risky. And maybe that's inaccurate. Yeah. And I don't know, for me, I just, I don't want to be sucking on a condom. So like, I would rather not suck a dick if I have to suck it with a condom. But but I think dental dams also pose a specific complication which is that they don't attach right you kind of always have to be holding it yeah you have to use both hands which leaves basically only your elbows for resting on if you're like laying on a bed together which is the most comfortable position for oral sex on someone with a vulva but then but then that totally cuts out fingers if you want to be like penetrating while you're giving oral and stuff so to me it just doesn't seem like they figured out the technology in such a way that would make these highly usable because for all intents and purposes they're not i feel like one kind of design change that would really revolutionize is like a three or even just like half kind of like frame, like on three sides, where then you would have the ability to hold it in place with one hand while doing things with the other hand, such as fingering and analingus, it's gonna cut down on the quality of what you can deliver. Having fingers kind of like obscuring most of the parts you would want to get your tongue on. Yeah. But with a clitoris, you would absolutely be able to like 
do stuff while still having fingers under there. Hmm. Maybe someone will work on that. Yes. It does seem like when people have oral sex, they are just saying it's worth the risk not to use anything, which is sometimes when we get questions that are very wrapped up in what is the risk of this? And it's like, well, are you having sex without a condom? Oral sex without a condom or dental dam? Because if you are, then you're already taking a risk. So you're kind of getting wrapped up in the risk of it all, but there's already risk there. I think if someone could solve the dental dam conundrum design issue, I think it would be useful. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, let's hit our first question. Dear How to Do It, I have been with my long-distance partner for almost two years, and our sex life is decent considering we are only in person every couple of months and have different sex drives. My partner has gotten very good at going down on me and wants me to return the favor, but I have some reservations about it. I've tried going down on her before, but ran into a couple obstacles, like my chronic stuffed-up nose, which means I run out of air quickly and can't focus my attention for too long without stopping to take a breath. The other issue is that I have a sensitive mouth, and against all wishes, I have trouble tolerating getting hair in my mouth. The last time I went down on her, I gagged involuntarily and hoped that she didn't hear me because I don't want to make her feel bad and don't want to ask her to change her body because of my mouth. I've had similar involuntary reactions to eating food like tomatoes and olives. Maybe it's a texture thing. We joke that I'm just better at upper body rather than lower body, but she has expressed that she would like me to try again sometime. I'm considering trying a dental dam. She wasn't super thrilled at the idea, but is willing to try. Any advice on how to overcome these obstacles without insulting my partner? Signed, Sensitively Stalled. It's hard for me to tell if if our writer is being particular or has actual diagnosable issues. I mean, we could like dig into like psychiatric diagnoses, merely describe groups of human experiences that seem to be similar in measurable ways. But like... (laughs) It took my fourth try eating oysters to be able to swallow it. Okay. Like, it would hit my tongue, and it would just involuntarily come right back out of my mouth. (laughs) I would have loved to see those trials. And, like, every time, it was this guy with, like, too much money who's like, I'm going to feed you oysters. And I'm like, I'm not going (laughs) to like it. And we're at this fancy restaurant, and it hits my tongue, and I'm just like, bleh. Um, and then the waiter comes by and they're like, is everything okay? And I'm like trying to hide it with the napkin. Like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's great. Um, it's not a commentary on your food. It's just the texture. (laughs) But wait, but you got over it. You were able to swallow them. Only after getting very drunk. Okay. And it was like my own version of like those TV shows from the early 2000s where they do like stunts. Like I was like confronting my issue. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah. doing this. But all of that to say, you know, I do have ADHD, which frequently correlates with different kind of sensory stuff. I don't know much about the science in and around it, but <laughs> I'm super inclined to be like, yeah, hair makes you gag. Cool. That is unfortunate, and dental dams are your way forward unless you want to, like, gently go to your partner and say, hey, here is my deal, and it is an atypical and inconvenient deal. (laughs) Would you, for the purposes of solving this 
issue where your desire for oral sex is something I can't currently meet, how does buzzing or shaving sound? Like, is that something you're willing to do just to, like, navigate the situation? And I think that is a fair ask. I think that our writer could explain the situation and then see if the girlfriend says, oh, well, that's okay, I'll shave. You know what I mean? Like, if they're that uncomfortable asking their girlfriend to modify her body, see if she offers. If not, do the ask, but maybe just see if she wants to volunteer to modify once given the parameters of the difficulty. Yeah, and in sharing the difficulty, definitely don't say gross or unhygienic. That's not something that seems to be in the letter at all, but, like, definitely stay away from that. And I'm wondering what you think about sharing the gag reaction. I think the, I think sharing the gag reaction is getting very close to saying it was gross without saying it's gross. So maybe don't lead with that. Maybe if it gets to the point where you're not being heard or you're not being understood, let's say, like, look, it's kind of serious. I actually gagged. No offense to you at all. It's just this is my involuntary reaction to that. It's It would have happened with any pubic hair. Yeah, it would have um, it would have happened with anything with a texture that triggers that response of which this person has many, and I think that's maybe the thing to lead with. Yes. Like I've had this issue, however long, maybe their whole lives, with tomatoes and olives and other things. Turns yes. out, pubic hair does the same thing. I can't figure it out. Let's problem solve together. Yeah. I do have a a slight suggestion about the stuffed up nose thing because a chronic stuffed up nose, uh, that doesn't sound like something that should be an eternal condition. And I do wonder if our writer is doing any kind of mindful breathing. You know, what happens is a lot of people breathe through their mouths And that makes their nose kind of be like, well, since I'm not needed here, I'm not going to be as good as I could be. Breathing through your nose all the time can strengthen your nose. It can actually like make your nostrils grow in diameter, supposedly. It's just like a really good thing for you to do. It just kind of makes your respiratory system stronger. And don't take my word for it. There's a really good, easy, easy, easy to read book called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. You know, it's very much about breath work, which is an ancient practice. This is kind of like a very simplistic, westernized version. Let's repackage all of this ancient wisdom for people who read books off the bestseller list. Yet, very, very good. Kind of changed my life. I think that I breathe better now. I'm way more mindful of not breathing through my mouth. I tape my mouth at night so I don't snore. It works. Uh, so I don't know. That's maybe just something to look into because a chronically stuffed up nose, I, 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 I feel like if nothing else, maybe attack that, that I think that you could do something about that. At least talk to a doctor if you don't want to read a book. Yeah, I think both is ideal. Read the book, give it a shot, gather some more data. And then if it's not changing, then talk to the doctor. 
Yeah, and maybe it is who you are, but that's what came from my initial question. You know, it seems like maybe a little bit could be done. Although I do agree that ultimately accepting taking our letter writer for their word and evaluating the situation as such is always the best move to go. So I think like the the biggest takeaway is don't beat yourself up about this. You know, it's it's completely fine that you are the way that you are and you can accept yourself as such. And a conversation with your partner doesn't have to be hurtful because you are who you are, because it's not a personal thing, because it's you and not them. And so you're just trying to manage, you know? Great. I think that covers it. Let's move on to the next letter. Dear How to Do It, I'm a 30-something lesbian. I came out in high school and never questioned my sexuality. But due to trauma, I've only ever been with men. I even married a man, because it never felt safe to be with someone I desired. I'm divorced now, and have done a lot of therapy, and I would like to pursue a relationship with a woman. I am nervous, though, because, for one, I have no experience with women, and at my age, I feel like most lesbians will have. But more than that, because of my trauma, I cannot tolerate physical contact until I feel emotionally safe with someone. I quite literally mean any contact. Kissing, cuddling on the couch, and of course, sex. In my experience, I'd be ready to kiss someone after three months of intense emotional connection. I have tried making clear on dating apps that I'm not interested in sex on the first date, and even labeled myself demisexual. But the few dates I've been on, the woman has proclaimed to be totally cool with that, and then pressured me to do things I wasn't comfortable with but couldn't say no to. After the last try, I didn't even consider dating for another year. I was so re-traumatized. How do I go about dating when I need more space and time than almost any normal person is willing to give? How can I find someone while respecting my own needs? Signed, traumatized and alone. We get a lot of coming out late in life lesbian letters. Yes. So I recognize that this woman's position is fairly uniquely difficult. But at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they started linking up with each other. Totally, because... It's totally a thing. A few years ago, maybe like 10 to 20, there was like a rash of late in life lesbian trend pieces. So, you know, that probably like overstated the prevalence. But nonetheless, this is a thing that people experience. And another subset of letters that we get a lot, which often but not always intersect, are I have no experience. I feel really bad about that. People aren't going to like that about me. And I don't know that there's any data on that. I, like, I mean, maybe there is. Maybe I haven't looked up the right studies. It always or it often seems like people come to the fold with this assumption that they'll be rejected for their lack of experience. And I think that that's entirely in their head. There are plenty of people I know who love initiating people into different aspects of sexual behavior and practices. I, for like a solid 10 years there, like loved it. It was really fun to like watch someone's face when they're doing something that really works for them for the first time. Like it was like beautiful. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of assumption that a lot of sex makes you good at sex. And I don't really think that the 10,000 hour rule applies. I think that it can, but I think also what supersedes that every time is the chemistry you have with this person. You know, 
I'm not looking for raw athletic acuity in a sex partner. What I'm looking for is like passion and someone who can vibe with me. And what I'm looking for are things you can't learn and, and things that we couldn't even predict before we got in bed together, really. So I know that like there are definitely people who, who differ on that, who are looking for specific things. I really think the the vibe, the chemistry is way more important. And this is something I could have with someone who's had a thousand sex partners or two. Yes. You know, every person, no matter how much sex you've had, you're starting over from scratch with every new body. You might have a more practiced and varied sort of like bag of tricks than you do after two partners. But every time it's like, all right, I wonder what this does. Exactly. Because it may be different every time with the person. So And partner to partner and especially people with ovaries who have hormone cycles, Mm -hmm. what feels great one week is like you're going to have to do that like 10 times harder the next week or like, no, don't touch there. Or like if you could just like not get anywhere near my cervix, but then two weeks later, it's like if you could like batter it, like it's like (laughs) a small English town and you're like storming the Citadel. Thank you. Um, I got really vivid there. I mean, I love it. But what that means is that communication is key each and every time. And I, I feel like that is the most important skill. So if you can communicate with somebody, if you can have that empathy, if you can like suss out what they're interested in by simply listening, you're already there. You know, you come to the fold with skills and then the actual mechanics often fall into place or you have a really compassionate partner who teaches you or you know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. I think people put a lot of undue pressure on themselves about this particular issue. So that's that's one thing. And then the other thing is more or less this person being demisexual some some degree of it. Um, it sucks that she has experienced this sort of bait and switch. I do not like that kind of behavior. I don't like it when I've seen it in other people. I think if I'm going to be very communicative with you, the least you could do is respect that. So I, I don't know. To me, it seems like maybe she needs to look for other demisexuals or um, even asexuals, you know, to kind of get her feet wet and I, I know that, like, okay, Cupid allows you to look for for that. And the apps might be one way with, like, a more tailored search and also going to community events, show up and learn about lesbian history and how we got to where we are today and have conversations with people and get to know them Because time spent getting to know a person in community, I feel like you usually learn more about them than you do a similar amount of time spent doing like one-on-one dates. Totally. And I also think that there's a great advantage in getting to know someone in person because then you're talking to a real person. You're not talking to something on an app that is largely based on your fantasy that you're, you know, until you meet the person, they exist only in your head. So I think it's a lot easier for people to take you seriously in person than on an app. I'm not saying it never happens, whatever. And, you know, sometimes 
negotiations happen on apps and, and they go down as planned and that's great. But I think that like meeting somebody in person sometimes makes all the difference as inconvenient and as hard as that can be. Our letter writer is, has particular needs and it's just not always going to be as easy for her as it's going to be for everybody else. And that's life. Yeah, this last incident may not be the final incident in her life of her boundaries being invaded. And so I want to commend her for taking a break when she needed it and remind her, like, that's always an option and try really hard in the moment to take that break and leave and get out before... It goes to a place that's really harmful for you. And I think it's amazing that she's not letting it get her down ultimately. I mean, I know it made her not want to try for a while. Couldn't date for another year. She was so re-traumatized. And yet, here she is again, trying it again, not letting it get her down permanently, not giving up. That's commendable as well. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest takeaways are... Don't beat yourself up over a lack of experience because every single partner you're starting over again with. And then two, you know, try meeting people in person or if nothing else, try OkCupid, which does allow to search for specific sexualities like demisexual. You might need someone who goes the same speed as you or who understands what it is to go that speed. So yeah, give that a try. Okay, that's all for now. We'll be back next Sunday. If you're in need of sex advice, you can write to howtodoit at slate.com slash howtodoit, or you can leave us a voicemail at 347-640-4025, and we may use it on the show. Everything is anonymous, and nothing is too weird or embarrassing. Our show is produced by Chow Tu. How to Do It's editor is Jeffrey Bloomer. Our letter readers are Shasha Leonard and Benjamin Frisch. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.